and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show, where we have reached that point in the season where the teams have gone off and they're off at various sunny locations or in possibly the sake of the, the really dull aerodynamics guys, they're in some garage somewhere going and building... Pinewood Derby cars. Yeah, Pinewood Derby cars and, 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 you know, model trains and things of that nature. They're back in their sheds is what they're doing. Yes, they're, they're back in their sheds as opposed to designing cars and working on computers. And while all of this is going on, the various F1 journalists and pundits are wandering around in circles going, well, great. Now how are we going to come up with column inches? Well, you know what they're doing. Every headline is one of those clickbait headlines these days. I read four articles that had literally nothing to do with their headlines and were nothing but like lay up, oh, yeah, well, that's a big deal, but it's so not a big deal. Well, it wasn't even news. There, there's that. There's also the, you know, Autosport is doing a whole ser- retrospective series and look back at various races and events there was actually there was a really good article that they wrote about the race in the one time that f1 raced in dallas mm-hmm. in the summer oh yeah bad plan um th- it was actually it was a really good article kk rosberg was in that race mm-hmm. um and kk didn't want to run in that race and had a lot of bad things to say about it but anyway th- there there's Articles like that going on. There is the, and, and we'll get to it in a little bit, the mid-season driver reviews. You know, it, it's that time you get halfway through the year. The teams are, are giving their their status reports on the drivers and let them know, you know, whether or not they're going to get, get their, their bonus. Did, did, are they meeting expectations? Blow up, you know, all that stuff. Well, you know, it's, it's you know, like progress reports and your report cards. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they get a little checklist, see if they're doing okay. Um, some are, some aren't. Um, but um, I think it's also very important that the entire team is required to take this midseason break. Well, see, that's the thing. You know, wh- while it's obligatory that the entire team has to go on break and obligatory that the factory has to shut down for some part of this, I believe it's also obligatory for us and everybody who talks about Formula One to point out the fact that it's obligatory to shut all this stuff down. Yes. <laughs> it's in our contract. <laughs> but so some of the teams have really and truly decided to take this this shut down to heart and they've even turned over their social media to fill-ins and pundits much like Renault F1 having the Aerocat do yes the, the, there's been reports around the Aerocat especially around Aerocat's activities in uh um Hungary mm-hmm. um, some inter- some amusing videos about that um the one team that has been silent, they have truly taken this idea of full shutdown of the operations is Ferrari. We haven't heard a peep out of them. Oh, wait. We haven't heard a peep out of them in months. So, <laughs> okay. so they shut down social media months ago. Yeah. <laughs> but we're getting closer and closer to Spa. Well, before we get into that, and, and yeah, we're getting closer to Spa. I think next week is when we start seeing teams start doing their ramp up and build up for, uh, well, for the race weekend. 
Well, yeah, but I should mention, because it is obligatory, and we do talk about this every single year, but we have new listeners, mm-hmm. um, and some that may be more familiar with the IndyCar uh, process. In Formula One, it is required that they take 14 days off. Yes. But they have three weeks to do it. They have to be consecutive. Mm-hmm. Um, but some teams choose whether they've taken, you know, they immediately shut down right after the last, they ship, pack everything up, ship it back, everything's in, you know, mothballed for two weeks, and then they come back and get a full week before the next race. Some of them will, you know, do a couple of days and then start their 14 days. So they can lay that 14 days any way they want as long as it is consecutive and within the three-week period. And the requirement isn't just that, you know, we're not racing, the things are packed up. The factories have to be shut down. Yes. Nobody is allowed into work in theory. And I don't know how this is enforced or dealt with, but in theory, even the computer systems and email servers are supposed to be shut down. My guess is that they've just figured out a way to cut off connectivity because it's a pain in the butt to shut that stuff down. But there is supposed to be no activity whatsoever for two weeks of that three-week period. So the teams try and make the decision of do they come back from the, the last race of before the season and do all of the car cleanup and all of the setup and dev work that they're going to need for spa before they go on vacation or do they go on vacation and then come back and clean up the car from the first half of the season attach the new bits do whatever development work that they dreamed up of while they were at the bar all of that stuff right but they can't actually do development work while they were at the bar there to but, not think about it they are regulated to not think yes but <laughs> but even formula one admits that you know you cannot stop the guy from daydreaming when he's at the beach and drawing out sketches on the cocktail napkins they they, they admit that there is a limit to what they can regulate and some folks are that boring that that's just the way they work well i'm quite sure that that's the way that happens i wonder jeff and aerodynamics we're talking about you yeah. I wonder <laughs> if, you know, one like Mrs. Patty, uh, Mrs. Uh, Nikki Lauda is emailing Susie Wolf to have the conversation at their private email addresses. <laughs> and it's Nikki and Toto going, hey, would you email Susie this? <laughs> I'm thinking about this other thing. And it has to go through the wives so that it doesn't get traced back to anything. Like, Jack's Twitter account has probably blown up. Well, it's between the Horner and Newey family. (laughs) I'm quite sure the (laughs) Horner and Newey family is uh, also going through that. So, I didn't realize this. I I, I knew that there was a change that had occurred in Hungary um, on the podium ceremony. First off, if you notice, from what little we saw, and and Formula One actually, it took them a while to release the video, but from what little we saw, did you happen to notice the little square boxes on the champagne bottles on the podium ceremony? No. Those were GoPro cameras. They GoPro'd the... They had video of the the champagne being... It was an interesting uh, direction. But there was one other thing that happened, and I knew part of this. I didn't know the whole thing. Formula One announced just before Hungary, and it was minor, so I didn't say anything, um, that they had a new champagne supplier. It was going to be Carbon. And besides the fact that this was a new champagne supplier, the bottles were coated in carbon fiber, hence the 
carbon. They're very expensive bottles. But what I did not realize, and somehow we missed this, was the, the signing of carbon as the official champagne supplier for Formula One in the podium ceremonies marked the return of champagne to the podium ceremonies. So they've been spewing sparkling wine? Yes. Since 2015, they have been spraying sparkling wine. And apparently, according to the Telegraph, we didn't notice this. But if you recall, when we first started watching in 2013 through 2014, when they got to the end of the podium ceremony, the announcer would go, and now the champagne! And they would spray the champagne. They haven't been doing that. I didn't notice that Because it's not champagne. Okay, <laughs> being American and thus crass, I must point out that it is only the law in France. But again, European series. Yes, that champagne is only able to be produced from the Champagne region of France. However, there are quite a few champagne places in the United States. Yeah. So, yes. So, as you recall, up until 2015, Mum was the official champagne supplier. Mm-hmm. Um, that partnership ended after 15 years back in 2015. Uh, it was owned by Pernard Ricard. Um, Chandon took, o- took over from there, which Chandon is also a McLaren sponsor and has been for several years, um, owned by Moet Hennessy. Moet, I thought, made champagne. I don't know where Mo. I mean, they do is. have stuff in California. Yeah. But I thought they made champagne. Well, actually, it says that they have vineyards in Argentina, United States, Brazil, Australia, India, and China. So not in France. So not there. Um, here's a little bit of trivia. I didn't know this. So where did this tradition start? Well, it was actually, it was about 50 years ago when Swiss driver Joe Siffert accidentally sprayed the crowd at the 1966 Le Mans 24-hour race when the cork shot out of a bottle of Moet warmed up by the sunshine. Mm. So it became a tradition when the following year at uh, Le Mans, Dan Gurney recreated the moment and deliberately shook the bottle to cheers from the crowd. Oh, so... It was an American, yes. No, I wasn't even going to go. It was an American. Because, I mean, wasting liquor is totally something that non-Europeans would do. Um, But no, I'm just sitting here thinking about how much like the shoey that has become, that was. That it got done one time and then egged on by the crowd to continue. But less gross. But far less gross. Yeah. The shoey still gives me, like, Creepy crawlies. <laughs> Do not like the shooting. But that's where it started in motorsport. Okay. The other thing that has been done with these bottles is there are specific bottles for each position on the podium. They're designated by a gold band for first on the bottle, silver for second, and bronze for third. I did not know that. Th- that's something also started with carbon as the, the champagne supplier something that they have done so they're commemorative bottles so that maybe the winners could hold on to them and say this was the bottle that you shook when you well well, that's the other thing is since they're carbon fiber if they should drop them in theory well they're carbon fiber coated in theory 
they should remain intact. Okay, but champagne bottles, by are their nature, heavy. are well, and you know why? Because right? of the pressure. It's the pressure. Mm-hmm. They are heavier and um, thicker than normal wine bottles. Mm-hmm. In fact, and this is fun wine fact, the cork that goes into a champagne bottle goes in looking right. like every other normal cork. It is the pressure m- it. makes them a mushroom. Right. So these are fun facts with the bloke and the bird today. <laughs> but while we're talking about French stuff, the French Grand Prix. Oh. When is that scheduled to come back? Next, Next year. year? Yeah. June 24th tentatively is going to be the date. Um, and the organizers have released the track diagram. Now, one of the notable features of the, uh, the Paul Ricard circuit is that it has the Mistral Strait, which is its, its long back straight. It's 1.2 miles long. That is a ridiculously long straight in Formula One. It's a ridiculously long straight in general. Now, again, remember that one of the strengths of the Paul Ricard circuit is much like Barcelona. It's set up for testing. Mm-hmm. And there are all kinds of different configurations that they can use. Well, they're using the longest possible configuration for the Formula One race. That includes the Mistral Strait. However, because that straight is so long, they've elected to put a chicane in the middle of it. All right. Now, they do it for two reasons. One is because at 1.2 miles long, uh, there was concern about running the Formula One engines at full power for that long. Possibly it was Honda's. <laughs> 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 yes, you, Honda, in the back row. Do you have any concerns about the French Grand Prix? Yes, yes. We're afraid our car will break down on the first time we go through that straight. Could you yeah. fix that for us? <laughs> um, but that's one. The other is they wanted to boost overtaking opportunities because you put that chicane in there, you're forcing braking, you're forcing slowing down, so giving you a chance for some overtaking in a braking zone because we know that nobody will, will overtake on a straight. Unless it's got DRS. <laughs> I was going to say, they overtake on straights all the time. The DRS. Oh, yeah, but that's, you know, that's fake. Okay. So there is going to be a chicane in the middle of the straight. All right. So when we get to watch that race, can we, like, start the thing where every time somebody, you know, they mention this, that we have to drink when they say there's a new chicane in the middle of the the, the longest well, straight. Well, there's that, and there's also for the folks walk, watching the American coverage of Spa, don't forget, we drink whenever some, whenever Lee Diffie in particular, but anybody, points out the fact that, you know, this is in the Ardennes Forest, and it's a big track, and sometimes it rains in part of the track, but not in other parts. Oh, yes. Yes, you must drink. If you participate in the Spa drinking game... Anytime we talk about the fact that it rains in part of the, the track, but not the other parts of the track. And it can be wet in part of the track and not wet in the other parts of the track. In Singapore, that is humid. And hot. Hot, and, hot and, and, and humid. And Malaysia, although it doesn't happen as often lately, and of course this will be the last year you get to do it, when they talk about the torrential downpours that can happen. Oh, no, no. You also have to drink in Brazil when they talk about the fact that Interlagos means between two lakes. Yes, between and the lakes. <laughs> that causes rain and Interlagos. Yes. Yes. That Those are very key things. We should come up with like the bingo card of Formula One. 
We've talked about that in the past. You know, we'll do the that. The problem is you need it for like every race, or is it just you can do a season-wide thing? We could do a season-wise bingo card, or we could, I mean, truly, we have enough experience at this point that we could come up with bingo cards maybe at key races. I, I don't know if I could come up with 21 separate bingo cards, but we should we should do Formula One bingo. It could be totally our thing. We'll start it after the end of this last race, and we'll start putting it together over the so winter. So for Hungary, is every time that they say that that you know Lewis Hamilton loves this track and owns this track, is that the free space? Because <laughs> it's so not true. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, the free space is always the free space. We we should do this. We should. We need to come up with it. It's. I think this is key for the next development of the series. When we, you know, as we start to develop the bloke and the bird, I think that we need bingo cards. Okay. We shall explore that option. So, mid-season reviews. The counseling sessions have begun for the various drivers. Oh. Some of them did not wait until the teams even got out of Hungary. Ooh. And you know that if you're having a talk that soon after the race, that maybe things... It's not a pat on the back and say, hey, you're doing great. Move on and go on with, with your bad self. Yeah. <laughs> so France Toast was one of the first ones to come out and talk about Danny Kvyat. So let me guess. It was not to say that he's doing a fine job, but... Maybe he came out and said he's a really nice guy. Well, he said that he has no complaints about Danny's pace. But they need him to curb his impatience. He said, Danilo is doing a good job, apart from sometimes after the start when he is too impatient or when he risks too much. If you look to his speed during the race, if he is just running by himself, his lap times are very, very competitive and very good. He wants to be successful. He wants to overtake people where maybe there is no possibility to overtake, and there he must become more disciplined. Whether it's frustration or whatever, being in the car, especially at the start, you have to have your emotions under control. Because if you start becoming emotional, you make mistakes, and then you crash. The rest is okay because he's giving good technical feedback. He's showing good speed and driving by himself. He's doing a good job. So his Nobody wants to see him drive by himself. Okay, wait. (laughs) The answer is he would be a phenomenal driver if it wasn't for all the other cars on the track? Yeah, pretty much. I think that's the Pastor Maldonado (laughs) excuse. Yeah, pretty much. If there was he would be doing great. He'd be winning championships if there was nobody else out there. (laughs) So Daniel Caviat contender for the first homeschooled F1 race. <laughs> time trials. That's that's his his strength. Time trials. Only we had those. Yeah. Sorry, Daniel. Maybe when he goes back to reading Dolfskiesky and Tolstoy, because that's what he reads when he's that's on the right. track. Yeah. Now Roman Grosjean, he he did a self appraisal. Ooh, he had to write his own self evaluation. That's probably because yeah. Renault was too busy trying to come up with, uh, not Renault. He's with Haas. Haas. They're they're still trying to keep Kevin Magnussen and Nico Hulkenberg separated. Oh, <laughs> yeah. They and both of those teams are in. Uh, well, they're in counseling. <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing they're not on the same team. 
truth. So Roman says that there are always things you can improve. Finding your way when you are frustrated to deal with things differently and dealing better with the brakes not working and stuff like that. I need to more on that. Generally, my level of driving fitness feedback is pretty much ready to be world champion in a good car. Um, now, regarding his radio outbursts, he said, I get frustrated because I want to win. Then if I get frustrated, I talk on the radio. So where to escape the frustration? The other way of seeing it is to say, okay, I'm not going to win the race. I'm just going to get my money, drive, and go home. If I get to that stage when I'm 31 and I want to be world champion, then my career is kind of over. As long as you keep that flame and that winning spirit and you're not happy because you've qualified 14th, but you beat your teammate, that'll never make me happy. For some people, it does. Great for them, but it'll never be for me. I need to get my radio messages down, but I get frustrated because I want to win. If you're leading or if you've got a car which can win, then you're not shouting and you're not complaining because you are where you think you belong. Yeah. That's what he had to say. Makes sense. Personally, just... if he's upset, I want to hear it. I, I don't think that... <laughs> I don't find it as a negative. I don't think venting frustration as a negative. It's when... Venting becomes sideswiping somebody else. Um, see also Vettel. Um, that That's becomes a different story. A different thing. And I also think that, you know, while we laugh and we giggle about the anger management problems that Vettel seems to have, I don't see that in Grosjean. I see him getting frustrated, but there's some there's just a different feel to his frustration. Well, you know, when They've been having now brake issues for... A year and a half? Yeah. That's worthy of some frustration, especially since they're brake issues. If the brakes don't work and he ends up into a wall, yeah. that's kind of preventable. Right. But, I mean, think about it. He's had a year and a half of brake issues. Fernando Alonso has had a few years of Hondo engine issues. Fernando is a far angrier well, he has been. At this point, I think he's just kind of resigned that he's screwed up once again. Yeah, he is his own worst career enemy. So who else has got an evaluation for us to review? Well, Felipe Masso wants everyone to know that um, if folks want him to stay in Formula One next year, he would be more than happy to do so. Because he didn't really want to leave last year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's pretty much news. It's more like, you know, if you guys still want me around, I'm here for you. You just got to kind of reach out and talk to me. Yeah, he says, I'm really in good shape the way I'm driving, the way I understand the car and everything. I have no reason not to stay in F1, but we'll see what's going to happen. I mean, Williams already gave a seat to a 19-year-old once. Do you think they're really going to do it again? I know. <laughs> <laughs> now, Patty Lowe said that Felipe is world champion material. We saw that from the season he was briefly world champion. Which that that I thought One was kind of mean. One whole minute he yeah, was world that's champion. Mean. Um, he says he, he's clearly very talented, and it's a great pleasure to work with him and find out how he works. He's a fantastic guy to work with. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> enthusiastic, friendly, very supportive of Lance and the learning that Lance needs to go through. He's fun to work with and a very stable and dependable guy to have on the other side of the garage. I think if we could give Felipe the right car, he could go and get the job done. Oh, but he's a nice guy. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's typically um, the siren song of Formula One. It's the end. <laughs> you will end up on the rocks when you suddenly well, become a nice guy. Again, it, it depends on how deep Daddy Stroll's checkbook is. Because what are the options? I mean, yeah, they could consider potentially Ocon. I don't know if Williams would take Ocon. They could potentially look at Verline because I suspect that Mercedes is not going to be able to keep Verline in that salver seat next year. Right, but Williams drives a Mercedes engine, so that mm -hmm. makes a lot more sense than Ocon, who is a Frenchman that I think we're nose-chomping at the bit for. But the question is, when it comes to either one of them, Williams likes to have a young driver and a somewhat more experienced driver alongside of them. Correct. So d would they consider it with, what, Verline's going to have three seasons now? Would they consider that to be enough that he would be a good counterbalance to Stroll? Ocon, who's, who's going to have a season and a half. Yeah, he's driven strong, but it's a season and a half. Well, I mean, either of those <clears throat> options are not the veteran and the rookie combination. But keep in mind, I mean, I, I think that, I mean, I think Verline has got a better hope of going to Williams. You kind of look across the grid. I mean, you've got the big names that are going to stay up at the big teams, and then you've got to look at that second tier. Well, who are you going to look at? Perez or Hulkenberg, who's been around for a while? Maybe Fernando. Williams is not going to take Fernando no matter what. Well, Williams probably can't afford Fernando's $40 million price tag. Williams shouldn't take Fernando. Fair enough. So one of the other drivers whose future has been in question, possibly more at risk based on the rumors than anybody realizes or thinks, Julian Palmer. Mm. You know, there have been some rumors flying around. There was actually rumors flying around that Jolian could have lost his seat as early as Hungary. But there's rumors flying around that um, he may not be in Spa. Now, oh, wow. they quieted down come the summer break, but there's been a lot of press, and, and I deliberately hadn't spoken about it because I don't know where it's going, and I'm not sure the hype is really appropriate for what's happening, but there's been a lot of hype regarding... Um, Robert Kubica. Oh, yeah. Now, Robert Kubica was a driver for several... Actually, I think his, his last drive was... It may have actually been Renault. But Kubica had some very big, very noticeable accidents when he was in Formula One. Um, cars, like, disintegrating in Montreal. I mean, very highlight real type accidents um but i believe it was in a wrc rallying event that he had several he was in several years ago it was one of these side gigs that he did got into a very significant accident and actually lost part of well it, it impacted the mobility of one of his arms and he may have actually lost a couple of fingers out of it i mean it oh, was wow. 
it was a very, very serious accident. There was a lot of question as to whether or not he would drive anything ever again. He's done some driving in WRC since then. And he's done several tests for Williams, or not for Williams, for Renault in the past year. He drove earlier in the year a 2012 car, 2012 or 2013 car. But it was within the bounds of, of what you're allowed to test. He drove one of those cars and did extremely well. Um, he said that, yeah, it was a little more of a challenge that it has been in the past because of his mobility issues. But in terms of who he was up against, I want to say he ended up in like fourth. Mm. Um, and then most recently after Hungary, Renault put him in the current year's car. Ooh. And again, word is he impressed a lot. Now, he's not a young driver. He's in his 30s. 30s with a disability. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you're looking for a younger driver, Kibitza's really not the person you're going to go with. But if you're looking for a promising talent, especially a talent now, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. So there's been a lot of talk that possibly... Palmer could be losing his seat to Kubica, especially given the amount of seat time that Renault has given Kubica over the last couple of months. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that would probably be a Formula One first, too, to have somebody with a long-lasting long injury like that. Um, I mean, I know you, Nikki, you mean other than Nicky Lauda. Yeah, but Nicky Lauda, yes, he was burned over most of his body, but he doesn't suffer mobility issues. I don't know. I I, I don't. I, I I mean, there was some fairly significant damage that was done to him. Um, so I I True. don't know. Um. Some of it may also have to do with the safety of the cars over the last several years. And this was an incident that happened outside of Formula One. All right. That'll be interesting. However, um, Renault says that they are open to keeping Jolien for 2018. There's no guarantee one way or the other that it would be Kubica that would take his place. Um, Sergei Sorotkin also drove the car and... Nicholas Latifi, the two of them drove, although my understanding is that um, Kibitza handed him their lunch. Ooh. Sorokin's been a name that has been around for several years. Right. You know, at one point, Sauber was supposed to put Sorokin into a car, and yeah, that didn't go very far. Yeah. One of uh, Monisha's many mythical Russian investors was supposed to be making that happen, if you'll recall. Yes. So over at Ferrari, Sebastian Vettel says that um, Ferrari's on top of this car. They know where the weak areas are. They know what they need to do. What what Seb said is that we've been very com we've been competitive every track where we've gone. It's true that Mercedes has here and there been more competitive, and we were a little bit behind. It's normal from track to track. There's a bit of difference. For drivers, some tracks we like more than others, so it's the same for the car. It's normal, it's up and down, but that's not our target. We want to be the best on every track we go. That's not the case yet, but we're working on it. 
we have quite a good understanding of what the car needs. Now we have the time to look into a couple of things with a bit more peace and calm and try to improve. So, yeah, he, he thinks that they've got this thing figured out. Wow. I don't know. Well, I mean, they're definitely doing better than they have ever done. They're not chasing it. They're kind of leading it. So They're doing something right. They're doing stuff right. And once again, we get to that point in the show where we must mock Honda. Uh, is that the point where we are in the show? At, at some point, we're going, and I've said it before. And it's, it's on like, the bingo card. We're, we're At some point in the show, we're just going to need some kind of music. <laughs> possibly the card talk stump the chumps music yeah, possibly yeah let's <laughs> let's see who else we can steal music slide from. whistles and yeah yeah <laughs> well all right so what brainchild thing did honda do today well there's a couple of things um first honda says and this came from f1 racing news so, or excuse me from racer.com so i'm not completely sure how accurate they are. But according to um, Racer.com, uh, Yasuki Hasegawa says um, about the season so far, it's difficult for me to say it is satisfying. Maybe the current level of performance is what we had to achieve at the beginning of the season. So for me, I'm thinking at least we can achieve the level of performance we should have been at in Barcelona. He says, so it took around five months. From a normal technical development, common sense point of view, to catch up that level in five months, we have to be proud of that. However, to match the Formula One calendar, it is too late. So I'm half relieved and half very disappointed that we could not achieve this level at the beginning of the season. Ouch. But we get more from from Autosport. Going into, uh, was it Hungary or was it the race before that, that Honda rolled out their spec three, oh, Azerbaijan. Mm -hmm. They rolled out their spec three engine, which was supposed to be better. And arguably it was okay. to a point. I mean, again, double points in Hungary and Fernando setting fastest lap. Yes. I mean, arguably something happened that should have happened a long time ago. Well, they're working on spec four. Because, you know, when you've already blown through your penalty cap, you might as well just keep rolling out engines. Yeah. What the hell? Um, <laughs> but they're working on spec four, and, yeah, they're really not sure what to do next. Oh. Um, Hasegawa-san says, um, we're focusing mainly on the combustion, but also every area, such as fuel consumption, auxiliary parts, everywhere we're trying to find more horsepower. Wow. Um, he admits as we have said before um but he's now admitting they underestimated the challenge of formula one well that we knew he says from the concept point of view yes we underestimated it although it took a bit of time to stabilize we understand it was a stage we had to overcome it was very tough we thought we had enough preparation time which is why we started this year's engine development in may but one year is not enough Theoretically speaking, we have already achieved some good steps. We are in the middle of our target, but we need more steps to catch the top runners. Okay, so you just quoted one of the things I wanted to point out. So this article and this quotes have permeated a bunch of things. AMP was quoting on it. Mm -hmm. um, and so they used the headline of Honda says one year is not enough to develop an engine. 
Mercedes required, took eight. I'm required to mention that Honda has been in Formula One with this iteration of engine and their return for three years. Yeah, but again, Honda came in, what, a year after it they started? It was a year after they started. So there was that gap, and, and that was the big talk, was that, you know, Honda, in theory had that extra bit of development time because they had they came in a year afterwards. Mm-hmm. That should have been, you know, a nice little grace area. What I could have is, watched what the other teams did. Yeah. I mean, but obviously also it's not quite that easy. Look at Renault. And look at how they went in one direction and realized, no, actually, this is crap. Mm-hmm. And decide to go a different direction. And initially, Honda's thought, if you recall, they went in a completely different direction than everybody else. They had that because they were working with McLaren, and McLaren told them they had to do the the size zero packaging. They tried to compress the engine probably more than they really should have. Right. But there's this other quote here that I really love. It's great. We know the target, which other teams have already achieved. (laughs) Boom. You think? Yeah. Well, let's just be happy. They made it to the midseason break, and they are ahead of Sauber. Yeah. There is that. I mean, they will not be dead last. And, you know, that was the question, since they didn't have Manor to kick around anymore. I know. <laughs> Congratulations, uh, McLaren Honda. You beat. You are beating the team with last year's engine. So. Undeveloped engine last year's engine yep it has taken you six months to beat the team with the undeveloped last year's engine that's the that's the biggest embarrassment part of it is that you took you until hungry to be ahead of the undeveloped last year's engine so some word on the current financial performance of formula one group I'm not going to get too deep into it. Um, they did retire what Chase Carey calls a $1 billion tier of debt. Now, it doesn't sound like they eliminated $1 billion in debt, but whatever this tier is and all of the financial stylings that made this happen, they have eliminated that. Um, one of the things that they have said, though, is that uh, June of this year, F1 recorded a 3% increase in revenues year on year. So they earned $616 million. The other side of that, though, is that their operating income fell. They had $90 million the previous year. Um, This year, it was down to $45 million. However, they attributed that to, you know, promoting the sport. Oh, actually promoting the sport? Yeah, that was because of events like F1 Live in London, the expanded fan village that they had in Barcelona. Things of that nature cost them more money. Mm -hmm. But... Okay, so your operating income went down forty uh, or by fifty percent, but your revenues went up three percent. I'm not necessarily sure that that was a bad trade off. Well, in the short term, it's you know you're not getting short term. Like, it's not great. It's but, not great, but it's a. It, this is they're playing a long game here, mm-hmm. and nobody was expecting some of the ex- added expenses like the fan side wasn't expecting that they were going to be putting in more now that they've set the precedent that they're doing these things ticket sales should start going up because people are going to start expecting and enjoying those things 
But if you think about it, and I don't have a calendar in front of me. Okay, so their, their revenues went up 3% to $616 million. 3% of that is what? $10 million, $20 million? No, it's got to be more than that. Eighteen. $18 million. Okay, so they operating income went down $45 million. So you offset that, and it comes out to just around $30 million? 26.5. 26.5. I could see them making that up fairly quickly if these events pay off the way I expect them to pay off. Yeah, I, that's what I'm saying is, I mean, <clears throat> I don't particularly see that you know, spending $50 million to gain 18 right this minute is going to be the long-term net of this. Yeah. Um, they want to reduce annual interest by up to $90 million a year, so that will also help. But Chase Carey's also talking that they, they – um, they're greatly increasing the number of staff involved in running it. I guess it had been running at about 70 to 75 folks. They've already doubled that headcount, and they're expecting it to grow bigger. So I should polish my resume is what you're telling me. Possibly, because that's my guess, is that they're looking for marketing folks. I, I, I don't know. Do I have unique enough eyebrows to be able to work for Sean Brashes? Possibly not at the Brashes level. I would need to be able to work on my eyebrows to be able to to I, work and, for and again, it, it or may at least just, my ability to not snicker every time I saw him. That, that's probably the bigger one because it may just be a requirement that the men have eyebrows like that. I would hope or unique hairstylings. It, it's unique may not facial hairstyling. Yeah, it may not be as much of an issue for the women. And, and um, looking at some of the folks who were involved in Bratchus's wrath at. Uh, Montreal and the folks who were um, doing the recording and commentating for that, it's probably just the men. Okay. Okay? So you're, you're probably good. Well, if you want a job in the uh, Formula yeah, One organization, I, you're going to need to work on that. Either that or I need to get interesting glasses like Ross Braun. Well, that's because he's the only one without unique facial hair. Yeah, and even his glasses are, you know, mainstream, normal. So, engines. Engines. Our last story, because there's really not a whole lot to talk about. Um, we don't have tires to talk about? We do not have tires. But, you know, there's still the question of, what are we going to do with the next engines? What's going to happen? Um, several of the, the teams and, and heads in Formula One say, you know, the 2021 engines can still be exciting. We don't need to go back to the V8s. We don't need to go back to the V12s. Well, I think that's a reasonable thought. It, it, this is where I think they're kind of missing the point. I think as long as the racing's good... Nobody get, cares. Yeah, the rest isn't going to matter. Deal with the damn aerodynamic issues. Yeah. Let cars pass. Let cars follow closely. The rest will sort its stuff out. Yeah. I agree with you. Um... We don't have an argument there. Therefore, we have no story. Well, I wanted to comment on, on Ross Braun's comments here. He okay. said, we have a lot of fans who say we want to go back to normally aspirated engines, but then you have to ask the, the next question. 
Why is that? He said, it creates, it's because it creates more emotion with the noise and the revs. So we can create a hybrid engine that has that noise, has the revs, and has that appeal. The manufacturers involved in F1 know that's a key element. They need to have a successful F1. There is no point in engineering exercise that demonstrates your technology if nobody's watching it. The manufacturers know there has to be a balance of relevance, but still be able to engage the passion of the fans. And Total Wolf says, if you go back to the 80s and 90s just because you liked it so much, it is the wrong strategy. Exactly. See, I knew Toto got it. Yeah. Uh, my late night conversations with have. Toto have really started to pay off. I think both of them get it. It's a matter of selling it. Yeah. I mean, just because you loved bell bottoms in the 70s does not mean they need to come back now. Okay, then. I mean, that's the same concept. Yeah, it, it, it is the same concept. Um, but I think the other thing is the real question of why did you like it? Right. It wasn't necessary. I don't think it necessarily was the noise. I think it was the perceived quality of the racing. And I'm not even convinced that the perceived quality of the racing was truly better than everyone thinks it is. Well, remember... You and I have gone through the statistical analysis mm -hmm. and looked at what the distance w was between racers back then to now, what was the tightness, what was the distance between first and second, all of those key things, number of passes within a race, all of those key metrics are different today. And so I won't say that there isn't some piece of, there's something about the noise that, yeah, it does create an emotion, but you... Ross is right. You can have the noise without having the same engine. It's possible. My thing is, if you put noise-canceling headphones on someone so they could not hear the, the engine, mm -hmm. and, you and you only showed them like the footage of cars passing, if the cars looked the same, would somebody know whether it was a V8 or a V12 engine in there? Would they know if it was a V8 or a V12 or a hybrid engine in there? If they I, I think could your average, see it. I think your average fan would not. However, the really hardcore ones, the the true petrol petrol heads, mm -hmm. would. Okay. I, I I think that would be the case. But actually, where I'm going to go back to is again, look at Mid Ohio a couple of weeks ago. We had the Indy cars out there whose engines had a distinctly different note from the junior series. And we had the Pirelli World Challenge cars, which were V8 and larger engines. These were, you know, these were high-end supercars running out there in race configuration. The loudest and noisiest of the cars were the Pirelli World Challenge cars. Mm -hmm. But I don't think the stands were any fuller for the Pirelli World Challenge race than for any of the other junior series, and arguably the junior series had much better racing. I'm telling you, we we can prove that the Indy race was dull compared to what was going on in both Indy Lights and um, was it, it was M Mazda, Mazda Pro and, and F2000. Uh, yeah, USF2000. Mm-hmm. So. So it's not just the noise. No. You got an arrow with problems, F1. Fix that. And on that note, 
We'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay. Whew.